Today's conversation on First Lady and Friends was with a dear friend, a new friend to me, but one that I feel such a kinship to, Renee Ingalls. She's absolutely a delight. She's so much fun. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. Let's get proximate. We are back here on First Lady and Friends, and um, I've been looking forward to this episode for a really long time. We've been trying to uh, to get this guest for a really long time, and um, she has become one of my most favorite people. I feel like we're we're kindred spirits now, (laughs) and (laughs) we have had such a, a, at least on my end, I've had such a fun uh, experience getting to know her. it is the one and only Renee Ingalls. Welcome to the oh, podcast. What an introduction. Seriously. No, that was that's well over and above. I actually just before I came here, I was looking through your list of guests that you've had on here as your friends. And I feel honored, one, to be your friend, but two, I feel like a complete imposter oh coming gosh. on your podcast. <laughs> but I thought, you know, why wouldn't I give 45 minutes to an hour just to sit here and have a bit of a chin wag with you? So here I am. <laughs> I love it so much. And of course, she is uh, the lovely uh, Australian. And you hear that. I mean, people, you have to realize in the US, like we just like melt like butter <laughs> when when people with your accent start to speak but so let's talk about that you you mm-hmm. grew up in Australia I have to say my dad served, served his LDS mission in Australia so I have this kinship yeah. to to Australia because um, I grew up seeing uh, Australian like folk songs because my dad loved the guitar <laughs> he played the guitar yes. um, you know waltzing Matilda like was a big part of our like growing up experience so yeah, so tell me a little about uh, a little bit about your growing up time. Yes, in well, I am Australian. I have to say, people always say that, that they really love hearing our accent speak, and I love an Australia being Australian. I'm so incredibly proud of that. And then when I hear another Australian here in the states speak, I literally look at them and go, "Is that the way I sound? <laughs> Do I sound like that?" Um, it all, almost takes me back a little bit because we would say in Australia that we sound a little bit bogan. So <laughs> it's nice to know that you actually do appreciate the accent. But yes, um, very, very proud Australian here, as is my husband, Joe. Um, I have spent all of my life. I, it's interesting when I think when, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing and the circle of life somehow always comes back around and you start to understand different bits about your life and upbringing. I think as a child, I was always a real homebody and really loved my safe environment with my family and my friends. And actually up until I was probably 12 or 13, got really homesick. You know, I hated leaving home, couldn't sleep over at my friends' houses and then actually started making um, netball teams, which we'll, we'll get onto netball a little bit later. I yeah. know that you've done your research, Abby, um, and had to go away on these week-long trips. So to be sitting here now telling you that I've been living in Salt Lake City for close to eight years would have come of a big shock um, to my family and friends as um, I was growing up because I never thought I would have left Australia. And here I am, and I absolutely love living over here in Salt Lake City in the U.S., um, pretty traditional childhood and upbringing. I'm the eldest of three kids, which I think explains a lot about me and my personality. <laughs> yeah. um, my parents are wonderful, wonderful people that have been married for over 40, about 45 years, I think it wow. is now. 
um, gave us as kids every single opportunity you could ever imagine under the sun. I played 10 different sports, dancing, swimming, taekwondo, netball, basketball, tennis, you name it. Our parents gave all three of us the opportunity to do that, did two musical instruments, just every opportunity was thrown at us to find out what we were passionate about and, and to run with that. I miss Australia immensely. I haven't been back for two and a half years because of the pandemic. So if you had told me two and a half years ago that I wouldn't see my family um, for close to two and a half, three years, I absolutely would not have believed you because we're a really close-knit family back there. So missing home a lot, but Salt Lake City is probably more than our home away from home now. It, It really is home at the moment. That's amazing. So so you, there were three kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the oldest. Brothers, sisters? A younger brother and a younger sister. Okay. Okay. And they're equally athletic and... Yeah. I, <laughs> my brother was by far the most athletic, athletically blessed of all of us. He okay. chose not to go on with his sport and I think he's kicking himself now in his later years. What was he doing? Um, he was a really good AFL footballer. Have you heard of AFL football? Also another Australian sport? Australian yes. Australian football? I mean, I'm well, maybe I don't. I'm thinking like rugby style, right? It's that sort of style. Okay, yeah. A um, little bit different. I could be here for two hours on this podcast explaining <laughs> okay. all the sports that we play that you don't. Um, but <laughs> my younger sister was more the creative one, so she's very creative. Um, she's now a nurse working as a frontline worker. Oh, gosh. Um, my brother is a tradesman. He's got an electrical. He's an electrician, and he's also a qualified builder. So he's um, got both. But yeah, we all definitely loved and played our sports throughout. But I was probably the one that wanted to make it into a career. Were you in kind of a rural area, or were you right in? We grew up in the bush. Uh, yeah, the actual thought, suburb was actually called the Patch. So okay. I spent much of my teens years known as the Cabbage Patch Kid. <laughs> had one. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Um, but yeah, probably not far enough away that you'd call it country, but it was about an hour and 15 minutes out of uh, the city and it was bush, quite bushland. Yeah. And was that city, is it Melbourne? Or? Yep, Melbourne, okay. Victoria. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Okay, so let's let's talk about your, you are the athlete of the family. Um <laughs> I do. I, know I can that. laugh and say yes because my <laughs> husband agrees. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm doing it to service. But I think that's it's an interesting uh, thing that people maybe don't know mm-hmm. is that you were an, a professional athlete as well. Um, tell me a little bit about your professional athlete journey. Yeah, I was in the prof- as an actual professional getting played to pay netball for 17, 18 years, which is a really long time. Um, I actually went pro when I was 15. Wow. Um, in a sport called netball. And I know a lot of Americans that are listening right now are raising their eyebrows going, what? What did she say? <laughs> um, here's how I explain it over here. If I'm honest, the first few years that I spent over here, I just couldn't be bothered explaining it. So I told people that I was a basketballer. But now that netball's <laughs> getting a little bit more on the map, I feel like I should you know, be a bit more truthful. There are seven players on each team. Um, it's on the same sort of court as a basketball court, except we have a few different lines. It's the same size hoop but with no backboard and you're in specialised positions. You can't run with the ball. You can take two steps or one or two step but not put your grounded foot back down and you can only hold the ball for three seconds. Mm. So it's quick. 
I always argue with Joe that netball netballers are tougher than basketballers. In basketball, you can get fouled out after five or you know NBA six fouls. In netball, you for one possession you stand out of play and then you're back in the game. So you can hit, bump, maybe not tackle, but I'm sure it's been done before. Um, <laughs> Is there like a red card? To... What's the what's the if you <laughs> it has to be pretty serious okay. to get a red card. Okay. No, um, none of that. But yeah, it's really. Fast power speed sport. Um, we play four quarters, just like basketball, four 15 minute quarters, and I love it and I miss it a lot. Oh, I, I can imagine. That's that's got to be a real transition. Let's talk about. So you you were playing you professionally since fifteen. Mm-hmm. You met Joe. Ooh, we met Joe when I met. We met Joe. <laughs> I met Joe when I was twenty one and. I was 22 and he was 21, which is lifetimes ago now, both playing professional sports in Melbourne. He was playing basketball for the Dragons at the time. I was playing netball for the Melbourne Phoenix at the time. Melbourne Vixens, I think we were by then. Um, We had both just won premierships. So we'd actually lived in quite a lot of the same circles outside of our sports because netballers and basketballers sort of grow up playing together around each other, had a lot of the same circles of friends. Um, I'm only going to say this because we recorded a podcast together the other day together and Joe admitted himself that I had absolutely no interest. There was (laughs) no interest whatsoever. Um, And he chased me for a little while. Um, But once I actually sat down and met Joe, um, you know, he had me laughing pretty much straight away. And those here in Salt Lake City that know Joe is that he is known for his good humour. So he's always able to make me laugh and has for the last 12 to 13 years. But we, yeah, just had a lot of the same friends actually met and started hanging out. And he moved to Europe a month later and hasn't had a Christmas at home since. So that's a fun fact for you. He hasn't been home for 12, 13 years for a Christmas time. He's played overseas ever since then. So I think we were just hanging out and enjoying each other's company for a month or so, knowing that he was going to move overseas. I definitely wasn't prepared to give up my career and move overseas or anything like that. So we did long distance for probably eight, nine of our 12 years together. No kidding. Yeah. So we sort of, once he got on the plane to Europe, just sort of said, well, that was lots of fun, all the very best, and we might connect later. And then back in the day, it was Skype. But every day since he left, we had been on Skype. So I did uh, that Christmas. I went over to visit him and here we go. The rest is history. We're married and have three kids. That's, that's so cool. (laughs) But, but along the way, then you had, you had your twins Mm -hmm. and you retired or or was it like leave? And then I, with the intention of coming back or how did that work? And, and in your professional yeah. sports, like I don't know enough about it because we don't have any professional women's sports in the state. Yes. Well, unless I'm missing something, but we, we don't have a WNBA play team. We don't have a soccer that I know of. No, not here. I mean, we used to, we used to have the Monarchs, but I don't think they're, they're with us anymore. So anyway, I, my experience is, is zero. How does it work when you know, well, you're know you a woman having a baby? I had just signed a new two-year contract in Australia with the Adelaide Thunderbirds was who I was playing with at the time and found out I was pregnant. And that had never actually happened in our sport before in Australia. So really? it was kind of up to the team and I to pave the way of what that was going to look like in terms of maternity leave or any of those sorts of things that hadn't been done. Um, 
I took a leave of absence because I just couldn't get my head around saying the words I'm retiring. Right. Um, given that I had just – I was the captain of the club. I had just signed two more years and kind of came on pretty suddenly. Um, so I took a leave of absence. I didn't know what that meant at the time. A lot of people said to me, you know, you're going to have twins. You're probably not going to get back on the netball court. You need to get your head around that and understand that. But I took the leave of absence so that once I'd had the kids that I could make that decision myself. Well, they were wrong because the burning desire didn't go away. It actually got even stronger. There was I wanted to get back on that netball court more than anything in the world and to do it in front of my kids. Um, so eight months after they were born to the exact day, I played my first professional game back and then played out that year, which was incredibly tough on so many levels because I had twins that were eight, nine, ten months old that weren't sleeping at all. And I was trying to do the kids and manage all of that. Joe was still overseas, um, managed that with help from my mum and still try and perform and play and all of those things and really enjoyed being back on the netball court, but just felt that having a long distance relationship with twin babies at home probably wasn't fair on our family. So I made the decision to retire and that lasted about eight months, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the next off season when we went back to Australia, um, it just happened to be completely out of luck. The home team actually had a pregnancy with um, a player that played my position and they said to me, would you like to come in and train? And I said, well, I've just trained for a half marathon in Salt Lake City. I don't, I'm not netball ready. That is completely different to the power speed sport that netball is, but hey, I'll give it a crack. And then I actually ended up playing another two years and probably my most enjoyable two years in netball. Tough because Joe was still here playing in the NBA in Salt Lake City. So I was literally um, in the last preseason. I was doing I was doing two weeks here, two weeks in Australia, two weeks here, two weeks in Australia oh, until my I went goodness. back. Yep, it was it it was insanity. But you know we did it, and I knew it was going to be short term. Sporting careers can't last forever, and I wanted to do my career, which isn't in the states, and Joe wanted to do his, and I wanted to support him doing that as well. So we made it work. However, in the January of 2019, which was the last season I played, we were um, a couple of months out from starting the season. Our eldest son, Jacob, one of the twins, was diagnosed with autism. Um, so I think at that moment I pretty much – or I went backwards and forwards, should I just retire now? Um, I made the decision to keep on playing um, and then pretty much decided at that point that that would be my last year out on the court – in terms of the actual year of netball, that was my favourite year I've ever played on court. I just felt like on the court I just was able to release everything and the struggles that we were feeling off the court and it was really tough. It was hard. So fronting up to the trainings and going home to the kids and working out therapies and behaviours and all of this new world that had been thrown at me was really hard but it actually made the on-court side of netball um, – you know, all the more fun, essentially. I played the sport because I loved it and I had the opportunity to do it. It wasn't a job anymore. Um, I think in hindsight that was a wonderful thing because that was my last season just before the pandemic hit. And then really I wouldn't have been able to have been travelling backwards and forwards anyway to play. So, you know, I would have had to retire a little bit after that anyway just given – you know, geographically it wouldn't have worked. And then netball season went into a bubble just like the NBA did and all of that. And that just wouldn't have been possible with the kids. But I'm really glad that I did go back and play after after having them. I now have three kids. The burning desire is still there. 
I still want to play. I still wish I could play. That's not that's off the cards. That's not going to happen. But I haven't yet filled that gap of what is actually next for Renee Ingalls. Wow. Well, we want to continue this conversation. We want to get into your kids and we want to talk about what's going on there. Uh, we'll be right back. We are back here with the one, the only, Renee Ingalls, and we are having such an incredible conversation about um, your your time as a professional athlete and, and the things that you were going through with motherhood at the same time. And and you mentioned that you have you had these twins, mm-hmm. um, Mila and Jacob, and talk to us a little bit about the the journey with Jacob, mm. um, you, you talked about his diagnosis, but let's talk a little bit about, um, and that's kind of probably where I connected with you. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew a little bit of your story. And so I, I just, I, I watched it from afar <laughs> yeah. from, from social, <laughs> but tell us a little bit about the story and, and, and when you got that diagnosis. Yeah, I think. Ever since the twins were born, given that we had a male and a female, everyone was always saying to us, don't ever compare the twins. And that is the easiest thing to say and the most impossible thing to do, especially when there is possibly an extra concern that you're having. You're going to compare them in everything that they do. Um, And they're little companions. So, of course, they're doing everything together. And um, I think Jacob actually hit all of the physical milestones first. He did all of that stuff first, but it was around the time that they were two years old that I started asking myself some questions. I said, I'm just not sure that everything's right here. Miller will look at me, give me eye contact, laugh, smile, make noises, make sounds. Um, Socially, if we we had little playgroups and things like that, um, that I would take them to. Miller was in it with all of the other kids and Jacob would head to the other end of the room and and sort of play on his own and was happy to just be in his own sort of world, which isn't necessarily abnormal, but I think it was just different to what all of the other kids were doing. Everyone around me, including the kids, paediatricians, our families, Joe, said – you're overthinking it because I am. I'm an overthinker and there's, I look at every possible avenue of everything. So I understand where they were coming from, but there was just something in my gut that just didn't feel right. And I think once I started pointing these things out to Joe, he got on the same page pretty quickly. So as soon as we came back over here to the States, we actually changed pediatricians just because I wanted another opinion. And as soon as I sat down with her, she's still our pediatrician now and our pediatrician for Jack as well, all three kids. Um, She said to me, you are his mother and you know him best, better than anyone. So if you are having these concerns, let's explore it further and see what we, where we come to. And Joe and I had, there was obviously a lot of worry over that. I think the one thing that I've learned about this whole process is that feeling like you have a concern with your child isn't as simple as going in and telling your pediatrician that you have a concern with your child. There is a long diagnosis and assessment process that for us took three to four five months, I think, before the actual day that we got his diagnosis. Um, And it was hard and really stressful, but I felt like I would do the assessment and diagnosis process. And if we find out that there's nothing, I haven't lost anything, but I didn't want to not do any of it, hope for the best, and then miss out on a diagnosis and the resources and interventions that Jacob might have needed. However, in saying all of that, I was ready to get a diagnosis or ready to hear something or be told something about a delay or something that Jacob had, but actually hearing the words come out of the specialist's mouth on January 8th in 2019 just hit me for six. I It was a shock, an absolute shock, even though I was prepared for it. 
And then the couple of weeks following that, I don't think I slept at all. I was researching everything. You walk out of the doctor's office with this, you know, handful of pamphlet of booklets and resources and websites to look up and therapy centers to call. And of course, I was like, well, I have to do it all today on the same day that he was diagnosed so that tomorrow he starts. Well, that's not how it goes. And there was actually... 18-month waiting lists on almost every therapy center um, or individual therapist. And it was a big learning process, but I literally just wore people down. (laughs) I called and called and called and called and said, is there an opening? They said, nope, there wasn't an opening an hour ago either. Well, is there an opening now? (laughs) So I literally just wore people down to get him into therapy. And that's honestly how I got my foot in the door. Absolutely nothing else. Two and a half years down the track, all... uh, 12 months ago, Jacob had no voice. He had sounds. He'd say, wow, no, yes, and bye. That's about it. And I can honestly remember the conversations that I had with my parents, with Joe saying, I just want Jacob to say mum and I want him to be able to say I love you. Well, now, two and a half years down our journey, I have a little boy that I can't stop talking. Mm. Uh, It's just... It's been so overwhelming and so tough, but just the best journey I think I've ever been on. And the first thing that I say to any parent that ever reaches out via Instagram or that I meet in a shopping mall or that comes up or is going on a similar journey is that this is absolutely the best thing that can happen to you and your family. Whilst it's overwhelming when you get the news and all of the resources that you have to go through and appointments that you have to set up and specialists that you need to take them to or therapists that they need to do, it is so incredibly rewarding and I would not change Jacob or that diagnosis for anything. He is the most special, beautiful little boy that I actually think has given more to our family and now to our greater purpose, which is how we are sitting across the table being able to have a chat. I just think it's added so much to our lives um, and I w- honestly wouldn't change him for the world. It's so That's such a beautiful story and I think gives a lot of parents hope. Um, that are going through a similar journey. And, and there there are a lot of them. There are a lot of people going through this it's, right now. It, there seriously are. And it makes me so sad that people would say to me, why are you telling your story publicly? And I go, well, why wouldn't I? Like yeah. if it helps one mm-hmm. other parent or one other person, because I can honestly say the greatest advice that I could give anyone that's going through anything similar, regardless of what a diagnosis is or if your child's got challenges or being bullied or whatever it is, it's not the doctors, it's not the therapists, it's not the websites, it's not the self-help books that you read. It's speaking to a parent that's going through or has been through something that you're going through yourself and it's that connection. That's what really helps. So if someone jumps online and looks at my social media page or reads an article that has been written or sees something on the news or listens to this podcast that go, oh my gosh, I'm not alone, that person knows exactly how I feel or oh, wow, those two, you know, Joe plays in the NBA and I'm his wife. (laughs) We make jokes about it. You know, they've got essentially a platform and a profile and they're not scared to say that they're going through the challenges. Like, we're all human. And for me, I think the greater purpose of all of this for me has been, well, how can I help the next person next to me or someone else that's going through the same thing? And it's incredibly rewarding for us too. Well, and I think too is – how can we look at – I think you telling your story helps other people to look at your experience and say, um, I don't need to be afraid mm-hmm. of of having a child 
with different challenges, or I don't need to be afraid to let my child um, connect or with be someone. who they are. Yes, whether uh, you have yes a disability, a developmental delay, like the color pink and not the color blue. Whatever it is about you or your child, let's just celebrate the differences. And I think in I don't know whether you say it's the smallest way or the biggest way. The day that Jacob was diagnosed, what it forced Joe and I as parents or us as a family to do was to drop expectation. And that's expectation that I didn't even know I had. My kids don't need to be sports stars. They don't need to be engineers or geniuses or a rocket science rocket scientist. They can be whoever they want to be and whatever they want to be. But I didn't realize I had an expectation that they'd do this or do that. What it actually brought us back to – on a day-to-day basis and now with Miller, our daughter, and our other son, Jack, and us in our marriage, um, in our careers, all of those things, is to celebrate the small things, the small milestones that maybe with Miller we would have missed or have not celebrated. Um, I think at the end of the day, that's what this has actually taught us. And Yeah. Well, and I think, too, of parents with, with kids that maybe don't have those different abilities or, or whatever, but... I mean, even even myself, I look at your story and say, what expectations do I have mm. of of my child being a certain thing? I mean, it doesn't even matter um, what kind of abilities or disabilities or whatever it is. Um, sometimes as parents, we have this idea that we hold our children up as trophies. Yeah. And I think s- social media has made all of that, highlighted that even yeah. more, I think. I agree. At the end of the day. If my kids are happy and healthy, regardless of what it is that they're doing, if they're passionate about it and happy doing it, um, that's ticked the parenting box 101 for me because what, what more could you want? Absolutely. I, and I think that's a beautiful perspective. Um, I want to keep talking about this. Um, we're going to be – we'll take a break and be right back. We're back here with Renee Ingalls telling um, her story about her her journey as a as an athlete, as a mom, as a as a mum. I have to say, mom, mom. My kids have actually got the, the American accent. I have oh, to say. do they? Well, Jacob's going through all these speech therapies and stuff, and he's finally found his voice, and it's American. <laughs> <laughs> no one more disappointed than my husband Joe. I just think it's really cute because they, both Miller and Jacob, they have an American accent, but Australian words. So it's a bizarre twang, like when they they, meet in the middle. So there's this whole, I mean, the the Peppa Pig, do you know Peppa Pig? Of course I know. Yes. Okay. So when, when you're little, and my kids kind of miss that. They were kind of on the, a little older when that kind of became a thing. But my little nephew would call like gas petrol. Petrol. And then, and then what were some of the other things? And we would just laugh and we're like, what are you saying? And it's because. He'd been watching Peppa Pig. Yep, that's right. Zebra, yep. the, the zebra, zebra, zebra <laughs> trunk, boot, uh, diaper, nappy. There's plenty. I could be here all day. Well, yeah, as I say, my dad being there. I mean, we we learned yes. all these all these little phrases that he would talk about. So, oh, it's so great. I need to visit Australia. Oh, I please do. I will host it you. Is such a bucket list item oh, for me. Please do it to. after the pandemic. Because sitting for two weeks in hotel quarantine not, in Australia is not, not so ideal. Is at it? The are we still? Australia is still sort of locked mm-hmm, down. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, completely locked down. So I will once I'm back in Australia at some stage. I will have you guys okay. over and 
coming. And we, need, and we need to get you down Cook to the farm. Your barbecue. When we <laughs> <laughs> Well, the funniest, sorry, we're totally off topic. But the funniest thing I think was when, um, I think it was Shaq, and he's interviewing yes. Joe. And he starts like on this like pirate accent. And I'm like, what is he what doing? Is he's so embarrassing himself. I know, I know. <laughs> and Joe's just sitting there like, you're an idiot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because not everyone uses the same Australian jokes and slang on us. Yeah, yeah. 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 I haven't heard that before. <laughs> I haven't heard shrimp on the body before. <laughs> like, okay. You're the funniest. Um, so uh, let's let's talk. I know you guys are very, you, when I say you guys, I mean you and, and your family mm-hmm. are very um, active in, in some organizations with um, autism spectrum disorder and some of the other things uh, tell tell me a little bit about what you're what you're doing there yeah we first started out um, jumping on board um, as board members executive board members at four ASD kids in Australia um, that's just honestly providing support and therapies to families who simply can't afford it um, the system is a little bit different here than in Australia insurance is Far better here. Jacob is getting a lot better really? services than what he got when we were back in Melbourne. Oh, Absolutely. Um, it's a lot harder back in Australia. So there is just families just can't afford it. For example, Jacob was at a therapy center. He was there. Um, he was doing about 30 hours a week and we met this other family with a little boy and I, the mum just seemed so lovely and, and looked stressed. And I said, are you all right? She's like, yeah. And I said, I don't see you here. I only ever see you once or twice a week. And she said, yeah, we're only here on Wednesday mornings. He needs 30 hours a week of therapy, but we can only afford two. And so hearing so many stories of that, it was like, okay, well, how in, in our position that we're in, how can we give back and get therapy to more of these little kids so that they can have the best opportunity, I say in quotation marks, normal life, whatever that yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and then over here in the States, uh, we're on the board at Culture City. And same Culture City, I think when I first learned about them, I thought, oh, that's great. They put sensory rooms in places so that kids can feel safe. That's what I thought it was. Well, there is so much more to that. You would have seen here in Salt Lake City, they developed um, along with us the programs for the Salt Lake City Police Department to be sensory certified um, and are just doing so much good work across the country. So again, it's one of those things where we just feel so lucky to be on the board. And then here, show up Utah. I Honestly, the day that I got the messages from you guys, uh, we actually connected through Instagram, I think it was. We did, well, and, yes. and Spencer, I think, had... Given the wrong number. Oh, remember? that's what it was. Yes. So Joe had given Spencer oh. because they had because they had done some commercials and stuff together yes. before. Yes. So I and think Spencer he had was the, the contact- bravest man in Salt Lake City to have given Joe the deputy. <laughs> remember the deputy job for a day? I was like, oh my gosh. This the, guy oh, the know you too well. oh my gosh. Yes. That was like, yeah, that was a really fun day. Well, it was my <laughs> Don't birthday, tell Joe actually. That. Oh, Did you know that? No, so it I was my birthday. That. And the governor had, when when he, it was the one and only time in the seven and a half years that he was lieutenant governor, uh, he, the, the governor was going in for a little minor surgery, but anytime they yes. go under anesthesia, they have to transfer p- power Makes to sense. the lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. And so it was this whole, we did this whole joke thing about it. Like we had so much fun with it, <laughs> but it was so like. So did Joe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah. 
Yep. Because yep. we thought, how great. He's number two. He could be the number two. The number two. The lieutenant governor. And I think you were, you guys were, I think he was out of Honestly, the state remember. to a ball game somewhere else. Yeah, probably. And we just me. had this whole thing where we he issued all these proclamations, and it was t- we did have the the blessing of the governor <laughs> at the course. time because anyway we just had so much fun with it. But yeah, we love anyway, that Joe was in Joe on the joke. Tells with us. everyone back in Australia that he had a day as deputy <laughs> lieutenant <so>. governor. <laughs> yes, so let's not do that again because his head's big enough. Anyone who knows Joe knows that. But no, back um, to the point is we feel incredibly lucky to be able to be part of organisations like Four ASD Kids Culture city and show up Utah because I think for so long, especially for me, being in retirement or coming closer to retirement, not necessarily knowing what was next, but knowing that I wanted a purpose and I wanted to give back in particular to kids, um, but didn't know what that was going to look or feel like. So in a way, I think it's circled back around and maybe that's why Jacob was given to us so that we learned what our next purpose was. But I kind of think that you know, people say, wow, you guys do a lot and you give back. But I feel a bit guilty when people say that because it's so selfish of me as well because I do it because I get so much joy and love out of doing it. It's genuinely a passion of mine and I love every second of it. So I feel very lucky and very privileged to be able to say that I'm a part of those three very special organizations. Well, we are thrilled to have you, especially on our show up Utah board. Um, I still feel like an imposter on that oh, board. No, I'm not, not going to lie. Every time we have a board meeting or a catch up, I'm like, oh goodness, these people well, are so incredible. Well, now you know how I feel. I, I am a I am a <laughs> small town girl from a farm, and I'm doing stuff like this that I, yeah, imposter syndrome is 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 mm-hmm. a real thing. So um so I get it, and that's what's been fun, and what's been fun about the board that we've put together is. Um, we have people like you, um, Ashley Smith, yeah. you know, s- s- uh, Kristen Andrus, folks who, you know, we, we had a conversation this, uh, offline, but we were talking yeah. about, you know, having husbands who are um, in the limelight. Uh, yeah. yeah. People, people yeah. know them. Um, people think they know them. And, um, and there are some partnerships um, that, you know, the other side of the partnership that, that maybe people aren't aware of. And, and what's been fun is for, for me to look at that and say, I can see somebody that feels like me yeah. and is like, I have something con- to contribute. And sometimes I get overlooked mm-hmm. because of the bright spotlight that comes with the other side of the partnership. Mm-hmm. So I, Anyway, it's just been fun for me to to get to know you, and and again, we have this kinship. I feel like because yeah. of a lot of the, those. Types it's funny. Of things. I feel like we haven't known each other for that long, but I feel like sitting here chatting to you, or when we're offline, or in board meetings, or having a quick chat before the meeting starts, that I genuinely feel like we've we're souls that have known each other for years. I, like I we agree. relate on a lot of levels, which is so, fun. So it's fun good. for me. Um, I just one like curiosity question for me. Okay. Um, I've. I've had kids that played sports, not a ton, or done other activities. We we in our family decided like our kids they they are um, they were really small and uh, made up for it by being slow. So <laughs> the athletics didn't really you know we didn't we didn't get really a lot there. But uh, you know music and we they found their niches they. That found the thing that that they're good at and which is fun, but I have watched a few kids like 
doing sports and, and in a situation, again, not huge, not like NBA finals mm-hmm. type things, but like... It doesn't matter what level though. But do it. So what? how do... That's my question. Like you're sitting here watching your husband... In like one of the most stressful, I always say, cause we're, we do like, we do like, you know, little league stuff. And I'm like, hello, it's not the NBA championship. Dad, mm. sit down. Like, or mom, yep. but, <laughs> like calm down. Yeah. It's all good. But you really are there. And like, how do you like emotionally, how do you watch that? Or even yourself, it's probably easier when it's you doing it. And then, and how does he yeah. watching you not get, so I get far more nervous or stressed or worried about a result than what Joe does. Joe is what you see is what you get. And the Joe that you guys see in the media or in interviews is exactly the same as the Joe that I have at home as my husband, except I don't laugh as, at his jokes and you guys all <laughs> laugh at his jokes. Um, but, yeah, sitting there watching, he's just cool, calm and collected the whole time. I think the difference for me and why I feel the stress and anxiety during a game, which I – I do my best not to show. I just sit there and do the small claps and a cheer here and there until the playoffs come. And then it's like this inner beast comes out of me. Like I was standing up in my seat and stuff and I'd sit back down and go, oh my goodness. The playoff game that that I was to, and I think you were up there and I was like, I wanted to be like, how are you here? Like not losing your mind. (laughs) I do lose my mind. I'm just very good at concealing it. Um, But I think that I see how much emotion, time, work, effort, all of those things behind the scenes, behind all of the bright lights when the guys run out onto the court and do their thing. I see all the blood, sweat and tears that go into it. So I think that's that means so much more to me. But I think what keeps me grounded is Joe, is just the way he handles it and is about it. And he's just – I've never said Joe the basketballer. Joe is my husband, Joe. He is dad, to the kids, and that's who he is at home too. And then as soon as he goes to basketball, that's where he you know changes. Over. I have to say, actually, the times that I get the most stressed is not when they're winning or losing or a game's close. It's when Jack, Joe, as everyone knows and calls him, he's quite known for his mouthy talk. I'm like, someone <laughs> is going to turn and swing. One day, someone's going to be the first one to swing at him. So I sit there going, can you please just be quiet? Stop it. And then people always ask me, what does he actually say in those moments? And I'm like, "It's we can't repeat that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, But someone one day is going to swing. So I sit there going, oh, no. So there you go. You heard it first. I can't imagine because I, I, the first time I ever met Joe, that we were at some event and and we met him there. And I said to him, I said, so you don't ever get technical fouls because they just love your accent so much. Like you say stuff, right? And he just started laughing. He's like, like, yeah, that's it. And so like, seriously, like maybe the next game or I can't remember, just not very long later, he gets a technical and I'm like, ah, it was me. (laughs) Yeah, he's mean. He's mean. I Like, obviously, I never know during or after the games what he says, but then I'll often hear other people or I'll go to a charity function and meet someone that he's played against and they'll tell me what he has whispered to them during a game and I'll be like, I am so sorry. But you can't take him seriously, right? They don't uh, really take him seriously, well, do they? We'll see. Hopefully this year <laughs> is not the swinging. first year we'll that know someone when they, We'll know when he yeah. gets swung at. <laughs> no, it's all in good faith and good fun. <laughs> I think that's what's so fun about yeah. it. And you guys, it's the two of you together, I think, are so endearing. Um, the videos on it, I, I'm telling you, I still can't stop <laughs> laughing about the swimsuit. I never but. told him that I said that to you. Either. 
But, yeah, Joe likes to think he's funny. He always tells me that I'm not funny. Um, so I'm always trying to think of a way to <laughs> to get him. Spice it up or make it funny. I don't know what you call it. But, yes, the dissolvable shorts. Uh, Renee won Joe zero. So great. Oh, Renee, this has just been so much fun, and I hate to see it come to an end because (laughs) this has been so delightful. But um, thank you again for sharing your story, um, and thank you for being a friend today. Thank you so much for having me. You can find Renee on Instagram at Renee Ingalls and culturecity.org. Thanks for being a friend.